0: Everything for everything indie for everything cults. It's the blue horseshoe now. now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome into another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. George Bremer, Ryan Hickey here with you. A very loaded blue horseshoe pod we got for you today. We go around the AFC South. It appears that no one wants to win this division, as right now the Colts, despite the tie, are somehow tied for first place going into Jacksonville. We'll talk about Quentin Nelson's record-setting extension he got just hours before week one kicked off. And a lot of big names of Colts are relying on didn't show up at all in week number one. But, George, I can't go any further without starting the pod by asking you this question. Here we are. A few days removed from week number one. It still has not sunk in that for the ninth consecutive year, the Colts have failed to win week one. And for a majority of those years, they have played inferior opponents and have failed to to beat and put away inferior teams. How the hell are we still what feels like in this Groundhog Day cycle of talk about the Colts underperforming and underachieving in week one?
1: Uh, The biggest thing on Sunday to me, you know, in this particular week one was just unforced errors. You go back and you clean up a lot of the things that they did. Penalties on defense, penalties on special teams, uh, all sorts of ways of shooting yourself in the foot on offense from drop passes to uh, just, you know, fumbles and. Bad reads and, at times, interesting play calls. Let's put it that way. All of it just adds up together. If they went and played a clean game in any phase, if just one of those areas played a clean game, they win on Sunday. And I think that's what's frustrating about it. It was an extremely winnable game. Uh, they fell way too far behind. And you're sitting here now preparing for week two in Jacksonville thinking, same old Colts.
0: And that's it, and and that's rewatching the game too. Which, it did kind of almost help cement that, where it's like, I know in the moment it's easy, and they're down twenty to three, and it feels like the the sky is falling. But it's like rewatching it, maybe with a little less emotion, and, and kind of being trapped as a prisoner in the moment. It really was. You're right for. Two and a half, almost three quarters of that game. They outplayed the Texans. They should have easily won. You look at all the stats, whether it's yards, whether it's, you know, efficiency, whether it's Jonathan Taylor's stat line, whether it's Michael Pittman Jr.'s stat line. It's like they should have easily won this game. And here we are yet again talking about, for whatever reason, the the hex, the jinx. I mean, I'll be honest. I wasn't really a big believer in in jinxes or hexes. There's something over this team. I don't know if they, they, you know, they had a spell put on them. Or they they've done the wrong thing, you know, ro- uh, wrong someone. But man, week one they just aren't able to uh get over the hump.
1: No, and they change things. You know, that's they they change the the preseason schedule, uh, they change the the training schedule, they change the way they work out, they change. How much they play the starters in the preseason? None of it seemed to matter. They, you know, I don't know if the football gods are just punishing this team for so many years of Peyton Manning. They're like, we have blessed you enough, and now you're going to deal with this. I, I don't know what what it comes down to, but every year uh, it's the same thing. It's been through two coaching staffs, uh, at least two different sports medicine staffs here. I mean, it it doesn't matter. You change everything, and and you know, every year, week one, you you come out highly disappointed. Uh, wishing for a better performance. And now, uh, more often than not, they've bounced back in Week 2. I guess that's the upside of this. But we'll see how that goes this year.
0: That's a great point, too, George, because, right, this year there was a concerted effort. Hey, we got to break this Week 1 streak. we got to come out hot out of the gate. And like you said, it's even like practice time. Small things where it's, oh, we're going to practice instead of going in the morning, we're going go to the middle the afternoon because that's when most of our games are going to be played. Everything, like you mentioned, was set towards coming out fast in week number one, and that was absolutely what the Colts did not do defensively, offensively, special team whites towards the end. It was all just, you know, one big uh, mess and it just one big frustration. So let's at least talk about one of the reasons why the Colts did lose. Like, we, we can't run from it. It is special teams. Special teams was an area we talked about more from the punting and, and coverage side than anything else. And, of course, those are the two areas that were not – Big, uh, you know, we're really not uh, too much involved in the game at all. It was the kickoffs from Rodrigo Blanketship were two and out of bounds. And obviously, as we know, the missed 42-yard field goal that, especially re-watching, I don't know why, George, it, like, obviously it's bad in the moment. And then you go re-watch it, like, it, to see how far it actually landed, where I don't think it hit the net. It was so far right. It missed the net and was in the stands for the fans to grab. That is, it is maddening. But the one thing I will say, because there's been a lot of discussion of Hot Rod's future. Oh, first of all, can we still call him Hot Rod? I love no. the nickname. I think it's one of the best nicknames in football. I guess we got to drop the hot, right?
1: Yeah. At this point, you haven't earned it. You know what I mean? You you, you have to earn a nickname like that. And no, he, he's got to earn that one back.
0: Fine. So I think you're right. Rod, now we have to refer to him as going forward. If he still is a Colts kicker uh, moving forward. Look, obviously you got to make the kick. It's without, you know, without question, make the kick. But my thing is, whether it's Rod, whether it's another kicker the Colts bring off the street, they're not signing Adam Vinatieri. So it's like no matter who you really bring in, maybe sure, they'll start off hot and hit a few field goals, and you're like, oh, wow, Rod who, you know this is is great. But eventually, anyone you're signing off the street is going to be basically an average kicker that you'll see some glimpses of good, they'll go through a cold streak, some glimpses of bad. The bigger thing for the Colts is no matter who's kicking for them, don't put yourself in a position to where you need to rely on a 42 year field goal in overtime against the Texans to win the game.
1: Yeah, no, and that's right. I mean, it doesn't really matter who who's out there. You, this game should not have come down to a field goal, period. And it wouldn't have if not for a litany of mistakes that we just went through at the top of the show. Uh, you can't do that. You know, when you put yourself in that position and the kicker misses, yes, it's on him, but it's also on everybody else for getting there to begin with. Uh, I also think. I felt like this should have been more of a priority in the offseason. It's one of the areas I thought that, that Chris Ballard, he had a great offseason overall, but I thought it was one of the things that that he kind of let slip through the cracks. They felt insecure enough about Blankenship last year that he was healthy and they didn't put him back in. They never activated him. They rolled with Michael Badgley the rest of the way. And then you go and the only competition you bring in is Jake Verity. And I understand where they were coming from there. Big leg. Baltimore's had this long history of, of really good special teams play guys from, from that unit tend to go on and have success elsewhere, but it's not a guarantee. And Verity came out and missed the first extra point in Buffalo. And that was really the end of the kicking competition for all intents and purposes. That was it. And so you, you come back around now and I think there was a feeling all preseason long that at some point in the year, this was going to happen. They'd be in a situation and Blankenship would would miss a game-winning or game-tying field goal. That it happened week one is the surprise, uh, but that it was going to happen, I don't think is... It it was a predictable event for this football team, and a preventable one, quite honestly. Uh, I think there should have been more competition brought in. I think there should have been a veteran signed, or maybe even use a draft pick. You you, you took a six-round defensive tackle who you cut, who's on the practice squad now. Would that have been a terrible place to bring in a rookie? The Browns did and he made the field goal to win the game for them. So it a lot of that's hindsight, but a lot of that stuff that that you know, I believed all summer long that this was an area of weakness that they really didn't do enough to go and and address and now you're in a situation like you said. You could bring in a Josh Lambo for instance. Those guys are on the market for a reason. The upgrade's going to be minimal. Now, the one area I think changes this a little bit is the kickoffs people are going to miss field goals that happens but to send back-to-back kickoffs out of bounds in the exact same way in a tie game in the fourth quarter in overtime he's lucky first of all he owes quitty pay a steak dinner he's lucky that yes. didn't cost oh, the game yes oh yes you know right there the defense stepped up and made two huge stops to even get to a point where he could miss a game-winning field goal
0: you're right and that's and that's the two, when you look at the bigger picture for Rodrigo Blankenship, he's been in Indy now three years. And every single year, he's had some sort of competition. They Colts have brought someone in to test him. Now, last year, you know, he was hurt. And then, like you said, they didn't bring him back after Michael Badge was, was kind of off to a hot start. But it's like also, too, if every single year you're at a point where you don't feel great about your kicker, where you have to feel the need to bring someone else in to challenge him to truly see if he's the guy or not, at what point do you just say, you know what? He's not the guy. Let's go try to find someone else. Now credit to hot rod for three years. Now he's fought guys off and has kept a job, yeah. but also at the same time as like, if you feel the need to bring in competition, then that, what does that say about the kicking? You know, if the Colts felt the need to bring in someone to challenge Matt Ryan, let's just say, for example, what does that say about the confidence in Matt Ryan? You know, anytime you have to bring in a challenger at any position, for the most
1: part, it's never
0: really a good thing, George.
1: Yeah. And like you said, three straight years, you know, the first year, obviously, right. You're trying to find out who's going to replace Adam Vinatieri. So that's fine. But the next two, you bring in competition. You're trying to to find something. You're trying to push something here uh, with this guy. And, and yeah, I mean, to me, it was just a preventable situation. But it's something they may have to live with now. We're going to see how this plays out. But as you said, ultimately, you know, what's out there, that, that's going to determine what they're going to do moving forward. Uh, but it's something that I think we talked about early on. Special teams in general uh, had been a strength for this team for a number of years, and you wondered how that was going to be. The kickoffs, the field goal, don't let the punt, the rough in the punter off the, the hook either. I mean, that's a situation yep. uh, that costs six minutes in this game, really, because they 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 make that penalty. Houston runs out the rest of the third quarter. The Colts were going to get the ball near midfield. I think their own 45, something like that, uh, without the penalty. Instead, they end up getting it back at the 20 and six minutes later, you know, so in a game that came down to a missed field goal in overtime, those six minutes are pretty important. There were a lot of things. They did some things well in, in special teams as well. The coverage teams were a lot better than I think the concern had been during the preseason, but uh, you, you can't do those things. You can't, the, the kickoffs going out of bounds, the missed field goal, obviously the roughing the punter, those things can't happen.
0: You're right. And I wonder too, now looking ahead to week two, a little bit like you got to wonder whether it is hot rod or, or excuse me, whether it's rod or someone else, the, the question is there. If you're Frank Reich, I don't know if you can have any really faith right now in whatever kicker is lined up for the Colts come week two, week three, week four.
1: Ryan, we got some breaking news here as we're speaking on the pod. The Colts have waived, reportedly, according to NFL networks, Tom Pelissero, the Colts have waived Rod Rigo Blankenship. Uh, no word wow. yet on the new kicker coming into town, but wow. there will be a change at the kicking position for the Indianapolis Colts.
0: That's fascinating. George at, that- they're first of all waving Rodrigo Blankshim, not kicking, not keeping around for a competition like we've seen the last. Three, we just were talking about the last three years with Hot Rod. They brought competition in. No one's been able to unseat him. and now, <laughs> I guess credit to the Colts saying to hell with the competition. We're just gonna bring in a new face. Interesting. So they wave Hot Rod. Well, thank you Colts for doing that while the pod is still going on, and not like in an hour or so. But. Yeah. Are you surprised George there cuz I am at least I'm surprised that they're waving him number 1 and number 2 at least right now waving him without signing a- another kicker or having a definitive answer are you surprised at either one
1: I'm surprised by the latter. I'm surprised that they would wave him without, you know, having a specific goal in mind. Uh, but maybe that goes back to what we talked about at the top of the, the show that anybody you bring in, there's going to be some question marks on. So maybe it's it's more about them not feeling strongly about whoever the next guy is, uh, but it's definitely about them not feeling strongly about Blankenship. I'm not surprised they get waved because of the kickoffs. You can't live with that. Uh, I, I said sure. that Sunday night. Uh, I don't think I said it on the pod su- Sunday night. I said it with some of the guys. Uh, when we were out at Taco Cabana, give them some props out in Houston. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it. You can't. You can't live with those short fields in those situations. I mean, you're trying to tie game in the fourth quarter in overtime, and you kick the ball out of bounds and in success, successful kickoffs, uh, and give the Texans field position at their own forty. And he said after the game in the locker room, he did the same thing on both kicks. I, you can't live with that.
0: No, you're 100% right, especially in that situation. Look, miss field goals happen. It's annoying. No kicker goes 100 for 100, not even Adam Vinatieri or Justin Tucker. So not excusing or not saying it's okay to miss a what is a chip shot 42-yard field goal to win the game. But to your point, you're right. You cannot have one, let alone two. Really just simple mistakes happen on a kickoff where you put the ball out of bounds. Also, by the way, the Texans had no interest in returning. So it's not like you're worried to try to pin him in the corner because the Texans are ripping off some big kickoff returns. They, these balls are bouncing a yard to in the end zone. They had no interest in running these kickoffs all, uh, out of the end zone. So they're just waving the white flags. we will take the ball in 25. Just help them get there, right? Don't give an extra 15 yards for literally no reason. But also underscores our discussion a, a few minutes ago too, George. All right, so the Colts cut hot rod. They don't have a kicker right now. So really, at least there's no one they feel, at least on the surface, great about. Which under you know goes back to the offensive strategy moving forward for Frank Reich in the offense. You would assume, you would think, we are going to see a much more aggressive Frank Reich now moving forward the rest of the season because that kicker situation is so fluid and so unsteady.
1: Yeah, he kind of addressed that a little bit yesterday in his conference call. Uh, you know, somebody asked him. I want to say it was Greg Doyle from the Indy Star, You know, how much confidence can you have right now? Or it might have been Mike Chapel, uh, but it doesn't matter who it was. That that. You know, how much confidence can you have in your kicking game in general, whether it's hot rod, whether it's you know somebody else? Uh, and I think he said it's it, it played into the conversations that he and Chris Ballard were having yesterday. Like, what are you going to do? And I think, look, he's an aggressive guy anyway. He probably doesn't need right. much of a nudge not to, <laughs> to, to settle for a field goal. Uh, and I think he's going to be even more so now.
0: Right. He's almost probably excited, I'm sure, because now he's the the extra green light, if you will, or an extra built-in excuse to go for it on fourth and one or fourth and two, and maybe a less than advantageous uh, situation. So there's the breaking news. The Colts have moved on from Hot Rod, Rodrigo, Blankenship. He's no longer the Colts kicker. They've also not signed a kicker. So we will see uh, between now and Sunday in Jacksonville which kicker they do end up trotting out there. But yet again, it's going to be someone where you don't feel a ton of confidence towards. Or really have the ability to f- give a lot of faith into. And we would both assume that we'll see a more aggressive Colts offense, at least in week number two for short. Sure. When the Blue Horseshoe Pod returns, we assess Matt Ryan's performance as a time for the Colts to run more up tempo offense. We'll discuss that when George and I do return. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason
1: Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal.
0: As always, subscribe, download to the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. we are coming to you three times a week in season. One of the areas we talked about where the Colts need to improve from last year to this year, one of the areas where Matt Ryan could help this team out from last year to this year, red zone offense. Last year, the Colts were 19th in terms of touchdown percentage when they got to the red zone. Week number one, we talked about Matt Ryan, his, his decision-making, his the trust that Frank Reich and the offense has in him and his ability to make plays. Now, a few drops out there for sure. But the Colts ended week number one, two of five in the red zone. Another reason why, George, we're sitting here talking about a tie when this should have easily been a win.
1: Yeah, and in fairness, I'm not putting this one on Matt Ryan. I mean, they'd have been four or five. He he made the play twice uh, down there in the red zone. And the, and the one to Alec Pierce, that one's inexcusable. He He bought a lot of time in the pocket, moved around, put a ball, a very catchable ball into the end zone. Pierce is here because of his hands. I mean, that's the one thing we've talked about all offseason long. He is a great catcher uh, to to not come down with that one in that situation. And that was one of those things that changed the entire tenor of the game, because if you get that touchdown and it's 10 to nothing, and that's the drive that that ultimately ends with the Wildcat play on fourth down and, and they get zero points. But if it's 10 to nothing at that point, I don't know that Houston's got the same urgency to them you know, the, the rest of that first half and, and on into the third quarter. I think what you saw in the fourth quarter might have happened sooner. And and I know it, you know, maybe that sounds like hyperbole to people. That's the way football works. A lot of times you're on the road and you're playing a team that's not supposed to beat you. If you come out early and get a two score lead, you kind of reinforce that in their minds. The longer they're still in the game, the more confidence they get, the more you see something happen, like what happened on Sunday. I'm not saying it's all Alec Pierce's fault. I'm saying, Anybody has to step up there, and there were two more plays after that. You've got to get a touchdown right. in that area. The other one is a great play by the safety. First of all, uh, you have to make that catch. Still, I don't, I don't care that it's a great play by the safety. It's the NFL; you're expected to make a catch like that for Ashton Doolin. Uh, but it was. You got to give some credit to the safety. He, he timed it perfectly. Got his hand in there just as the ball's being tucked away to knock it out. You still have to hold on to it. You know, it's not an excuse. But it is, you do have to give some credit to Houston on that one. But at the end of the day, that's two touchdowns you left on the field in a game that ends in, a, in an overtime tie. And I don't, I don't put that on Matt Ryan. As far as the fourth and one call, which is plays into all this red zone as well, I don't mind the play call in general. I think we talked about this on Sunday. I don't mind going for it there because you're at the two yard line and your defense absolutely should not give up a 98 yard for a touchdown, which they ultimately did. But I I and I don't mind the wild card, the wildcat play in other situations. I think it's a, I think it's something that can work for this team. You got Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor in there. Hines is making a basic read. It's not as gimmicky a play as people are making it out to be. It's a really basic run. He's going to read a defensive end. He's either going to hand it off or he's going to keep it. It's about as, as basic a power run play as you can call. What happened is the Texans defensive end faked like he was going to Taylor and then came back in and crashed down and blew the whole play up. The rest of that play was blocked appropriately. It would have worked if the defensive end didn't make a good play. on Jonathan Grinner didn't make a good play in the moment. But my problem with it is that's not the call you make on fourth down. First of all, I don't think you take Matt Ryan out on fourth and goal. That I didn't like. And then in that situation, look what happened all day. And I know that was early, so you didn't have that track record yet, but – Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman were making plays for this team all day long. It's fourth and goal. You have to have it. It should have been in one of those two guys' hands.
0: You're 100% right, George. And that's the, the frustrating part is, you know, I will at least say this. I do, I like to take some things back. I said on Matt Ryan from Sunday's pod because I think I was a little harsh on him and maybe put a little too much blame, or especially rewatching again. You see, right? I mean, look, Alec Pierce has no excuse catch the ball. Ashton Doolin, balls in his hands. You know, you got to have strong enough. Grip there and fingers there to pull it. You're in the end zone. That touchdown. I know, like you said, it was a nice play by the safety. You got to have strong hands. You got to pull that in and secure the catch for sure and get your team, especially in that spot. You needed a touchdown there. You got to be able to make a play. And that goes back to a little bit of the frustration and a little bit of the concern so far coming out of week one when it comes to the red zone is right that we know the two guys the Colts could count on. It's the two guys we knew coming in the season: Michael Pittman Jr. John Taylor. Those two guys, you have no worries about. No doubts out, Both scored in the end zone. Um, but, the, you know, the other guys you rely on, Ashton Doolin, you give him a chance, doesn't come through. Alec Pierce, you throw him a bone, doesn't come through. You know, uh, no one else really in terms of tight ends or overseers really got an opportunity in the red zone. And you see Michael Strawn that much uh, in the red zone, which maybe you would have thought with him, with his extended playing time week one, maybe that would have been an opportunity to get a big body on the field. We didn't see that. But you have to find ways to get in the end zone here. Because, again, the kicking woes now are obviously concerned. No matter who the kicker is going forward, you're not going to have anything that's a sure thing, kicker-wise, the rest of the year. That's for sure. And now, too, again, when you talk about the margin for error, the margin for victory for the Colts, they don't have a big margin of error. They really don't, especially when we talk about you know, the schedule they play in a very loaded AFC. They don't have an eraser like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. like can just make a play, and when the things break down, boom, that's your guy almost play hero ball. You need to execute. And one of those ways we're talking about executing is in the red zone, and that was the, one of the most disappointing parts is that it was a it was a, t- a point of emphasis we talked about it in the offseason, leading into the season. That was an area the Colts have to improve upon. That was an area where we saw the the team get let down last year at big moments, not putting the ball in the end zone for six. And like you said, it's a momentum-changing play. If you are a defense now in today's NFL with rules geared towards offense, with so much scoring now being prolific across the NFL, if you are holding a team to a field goal, it's honestly a win for a lot of the defenses, let alone getting a, a fourth down stand like we talked about with the Wildcat and having a few breaks go the Texans' way with drop touchdown passes. They have to clean it up, George. They gotta clean it up quick. Cause if not, this season could spiral. Spiral yeah. quickly. If you're not putting the ball in the end zone here, this this team's in trouble.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's the concern now is that you know, you, you go and you don't win a, a very winnable game. And now, you know, the way things are set up, it can go the other way really quickly. Uh, again, the, the I guess the positive spin on that is that almost every year they've started slow in the red zone, and certainly with the new quarterbacks. I mean, Phillip Rivers, early on it didn't look good. It got better as it went. Carson Wentz, it, it didn't, really didn't ever get to where it should be all year, but it did get better as the season went on uh, in the red zone. It never got to where you want it to be. It, it mostly was Jonathan Taylor that picked that up uh, later in the year. But you've seen it. You've seen them kind of adjust as they go and, and get better in that area um i think there's from from what i saw on sunday i think there's reason to believe this can be a much better again they should have been four or five i mean it's two or five and they should have been four or five you make two catches that that you have to make and we're not having this conversation because they won the game by two scores and you know it was a pretty good debut for matt ryan and and we're moving on to see if they can you know get past the jacksonville woes that's how important the red zone is that's Mm -hmm. how different it is two catches we're not talking about 12 plays here yeah two catches any entire tone of, of this conversation and this season has changed.
0: It's funny because I was listening to Robert Sala, the Jets head coach, talk on Monday. And he was basically, you know, 90% of NFL games are lost. And I think that's, you could perfectly say that about the Colts on Sunday. The Texans, it's weird. They didn't tie this game, right? I still hate how it's a tie. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but like, they didn't tie this game for what they did, like, extremely well. The Colts, if you want to say, lost this game because of just small things that we're talking about, George. Even one out of two catches. Forget just two. We're talking about one catch. This game is different. Or even, you know, even if you want to get even even more in the details, we could talk about one play from Jonathan Taylor late in the fourth quarter. He cuts it up field. you know, on the third down and two on the swing pass. He cuts it up and gets the first down instead of prioritizing running out of bounds, save the clock, and coming up short of the first down. Who the Colts could be positioned to, to kick a field goal and end the game right there. Again, I know it's a big if because Rodrigo Blankenship missed the field goal later in overtime, but those are like we are talking about small, detail, like simple yep. plays that should be correct to move a forward that really is the difference between a win, a loss, or in this instance, a tie. Spinning a forward, George. Now we look, you know, towards week two and look ahead to the rest of the season. How do we fix, right? How, how can the Colts offense Get better. How can they convert more in the uh in the red zone? One thing I think, especially rewatching the game, that was evident. Fourth quarter obviously was the bets was the best fourth quarter for the Colts offense the entire game. One thing they did that they didn't do the other three quarters in overtime, tempo. Yep. Move to keep the pace going, hurry up, have a sense of urgency. I mean, I, I know the NFL, you know, most NFL teams don't really use a hurry up offense. Most of the game, it's not like, you know, in college where you have some colleges lining up running 100 plays a game, 120 plays a game, just go, 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 go. But week two, looking ahead, George, that must be that might be a solution here where you got to get more tempo and have this offense, you know, running quicker and playing faster.
1: Yeah, you know, it's one of the things that, that has surprised me about the Frank Reich era. He was in Buffalo during the K-Gun era, you know, way back when, and they were really the first team that I remember to come out and, and kind of make tempo a big part of what they did at the NFL level. Uh, and And I think, I thought coming in, at the time, Andrew Luck was the quarterback, that that would be a really good fit and that you'd see a lot of that. And I don't, up until then, you know, since then, I guess I should say, I didn't really know what to make of it because once Luck left, it didn't, it really wasn't a strength of Jacoby Brissett. At the point in time that Philip Rivers got here, it wasn't something you want to do a lot with him at that point in his career. Um, They did it some with Carson last year and some of their best success, honestly, last year came running tempo. It's one of the things that Michael Pittman was talking about before the season and that he thought they would do a little more tempo this year in large part, because you go through Matt Ryan's 14 year career and he's been terrific with it. You know, the fourth quarter Sunday is not the first time anybody looked at that and said, Hey, this is a good fit for this quarterback. <laughs> uh, you know, he's, and if you look back, they're not going to run the K gun, K gun offense. Obviously it wouldn't work. It was a 1993 offense, but, if you look back at the things that they were doing, a lot of that can work modernized with Matt Ryan. So I think it'll be interesting to see. I I asked Marcus Brady about that today uh, and he kind of said, you know, they're going to vary it, but I don't, people kind of jumped on that on Twitter right away. And I don't think that that means what you think it means. He's not going to come out and say, yeah, we're going to increase the tempo. He can't say that you're not going to tell Jacksonville, Hey, prepare for the two minute drill. 80% 80% of the time on, on Sunday. Uh, so I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. A lot of times with that, if the coaches don't shoot it down and he didn't shoot it down, it's in play. And I think anybody uh, with a rudimentary knowledge of football can watch that game on Sunday and say they should do this more.
0: And especially too, George, when we talk about and we really just harp on the fact of the inexperience at the skill position players, tight end running back or tight end receiver, right? Well, one of the ways that you can help it, you know make their lives easier is just by going fast, not having them think. You know, especially the the, the fourth quarter, you saw Ashton Duel make a few plays. Paris Kemp make a few plays. Michael Strawn had a, had a catcher or two as well. Like, mm-hmm. now, when you don't have the ability to think, when it's just go, 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 make a play, line up, you know, within 20, 25 seconds, we are call another play, just run the route that's there, you allow just the players to play free and almost just kind of get back to their natural athletic selves instead of always thinking, always, you know, maybe harping on a bad play. You know, it can help Alec Pierce flush the drop touchdown of let's say that happened, um, you know, in, in the field of play. Just, hey, wipe it and let's go. Next play, next play. It helps even to the lesser experienced guys because the less you think, are you always you always hear what, what players say when they don't want to think of it, they just want to play and react. Read and react is one way you could do so in a high, you know, up-tempo offense that should help everyone else kind of get into a flow better and maybe get some more offense going.
1: And, you know, it also, it got the Texans out of their gaps a little bit uh, because they right. weren't lining up, they weren't as disciplined, and they were getting fatigued because that's what happens. It's one of the reasons you want to do this. Uh, and it opened up running lanes for, for Jonathan Taylor. I mean, that last drive, the, the not the last drive, the last scoring drive, the one that tied the game, he had four straight runs, 9-9, nine, 13-14 nine, yards, and the Texans defense, frankly, looked gassed at that point. Uh, and it was a lot of that was that they'd been playing most of the fourth quarter with that up tempo offense, and you know they they were wearing out. And I think there's so many advantages to it. You know, you can lock teams in defensively; they can't substitute as much, they can't change up looks as much. You can kind of get them stuck in a package they'd rather not be in. So, like if they're in nickel, then you can run against that and keep running against that. You know. Uh, or if they're up in the box, you can throw against it and keep throwing against it and get them worn out, slows down the pass rush. It, it makes them, it can, if it's not a real veteran defense, cause some chaos as they're trying to figure out where to line up and what you're doing, and they don't have the time to do that with a huddle, you know what I mean? And then you take all of that and you add in Matt Ryan's ability to read and react to what's happening on the field at the line of scrimmage, it just, there's so many advantages this team when, when they do that. And you saw it. It's not a theoretical. You saw it happen right in the fourth quarter on Sunday.
0: I'm glad you brought the last scoring touchdown, George, because to the one of Michael Pittman to tie the game, because you're right on that drive. Specifically, I went back and looked. They ran seven plays, 80 yards for the seven plays were run plays. Jonathan Taylor at 49 of the 80 yards on the ground. So when you think up-tempo offense, at least for me too, it's easy to fall into a trap of, oh, high uh, up-tempo offense means we're going to throw the ball a lot, you know, quick, 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 two-minute drill offense, and you just think, oh, that's going to mean passing the ball. You can run the ball just as good, and if not better, like the Colts did on Sunday in an up-tempo offense where you don't really huddle, you get to the line quickly, you kind of have players just get set and play, it helps the run game, it helps the pass game. Like you mentioned, it gets the Texans defense out of whack. I think right now with the state of the Colts offense and with really not having any reliable number two option at receiver and, you know, no other really reliable threat behind Jonathan Taylor, this is the best option for the Colts right now in the short term. You're not going to run it every single drive, but, you know, if you can run it, I don't know, 60% of the time, if possible, I think it's going to really do the Colts Warners here for week two and at least the next few weeks until maybe you get some extra confidence for a guy like Alec Pierce or Paris Campbell or Ashton Doolin or Naeem Hines really kind of find his role within the offense until that's the case. I think they have no choice, George, but to kind of go more up-tempo and push the pace.
1: Yeah, and like you said, they got a lot more guys involved that way. I mean, you look back through there, Paris Campbell, Mike Strong, both had huge catches in the fourth quarter. Uh, and I think maybe Strawn had another one in overtime. Uh, you know, there was there was a lot, or maybe it was Campbell. One of them had another one in overtime, uh, and, and it just, you're getting more guys involved. You're getting more balance on offense. There's so much to it. I personally would start that way against Jacksonville. I would see what happens. I'd go tempo early, see if you can get out to a lead. And then you can always lean on Jonathan Taylor later and wear them down when you've got a lead. Milk some clock, you know, do some of those things. But that, to me, is is the best idea moving forward. You know, early in the game, push that tempo, try to get a lead, score as many points as you can. Because how much different, honestly, if you flip the quarters, if the, if the fourth quarter was the first quarter Sunday, how much different is that game?
0: Right. I, it, the game's probably over, George. I mean, you're up 17. You know, you scored 17 points in the first quarter. Even if Texans get three points, and, and at that point, I don't think they even got a first down in the first quarter, I believe. It's like, you're right. So, we're talking about a, maybe a 35-7 Colts victory instead of a 20-20 Colts tie. That is for sure. All right, when we return here on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast, a few big names. We were you talking about all offseason really MIA for a large part of week number one. We'll discuss who uh, who really kind of needed to have a better performance, and they did, and the Blue Horseshoe pod does return. As always, subscribe, download to the Blue Horseshoe podcast. They're coming to you three times a week in season after the game on Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday, getting you set for the uh, Sunday game as well. So a ton of content coming your way. So make sure you subscribe and download the best way. To always stay in tune with the Blue Horseshoe Pod. George, we've really to put a bow on week number one, at least in terms of the game. There were plenty of players. Unfortunately, this is a theme of guys we've talked about, guys the Colts have been relying on. They really did not make a, a big impact or any impact whatsoever. Who's the guy or two you kind of look at and were really disappointed with their week one performance?
1: You know, I said on Sunday, the unit that I was most disappointed with was the offensive line. And I think people look back at that and say, well, they only gave up two sacks and they ran for 160 or 177 yards. Like wasn't that bad of a performance. I feel like a lot of that was Matt Ryan and Jonathan Taylor. You know, they made it better than, than it might've been had those two guys not been uh, had the ball in their hands. And the two guys that I think need to step up are, are Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith. You, you can expect if it was Danny Penner and Matt Pryor, I think you'd feel a little bit differently about it. Those guys, last year they were injured. You had the whole COVID situations. And maybe this is just week one rust. You know what I mean? They didn't get a lot of time uh, since last year to 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 be on the field. And maybe they're going to shake it off. And, and I honestly believe they will. But the, the key here is they better. Because you can't have two stalwart offensive linemen like that not show up the way they did on Sunday. Or Matt Ryan's going to have to make too many plays in the in the backfield, extend too many plays. That that you know throws everything off. I know just looking at the film from my vantage point, uh, nobody mentioned this after the game, but to me, one of the areas that really showed up that third down call right before the missed field goal, Mo Alley Cox is open early in that in that play. And if they're able to get the protection they need there and Matt Ryan makes that throw, again, we're probably having a different conversation today. But the the pressure came right away. It's just one play, but it's an example of what you know, needs to change. And you end up kicking a 42-yard field goal. Maybe it's a shorter field goal. Maybe you score a touchdown. They need better play from the from the veteran offensive lineman. We know what they can do. We've seen their best football. They just need to get closer to that now.
0: And you make a good point about Jonathan Taylor. Because, right, you look at the box score 161 yards. Oh, wow, the offensive line must have been blocking their asses off to, you know, open up the holes for Jonathan Taylor. There were... Plenty of runs where he is, you know, getting hit behind the line of scrimmage or running into a pile right at the line of scrimmage and was able to find a way to get six, eight yards where it's just like almost Houdini like. You're right. It was a lot of that was on Jonathan Taylor's vision, his ability to make the first guy miss, as why he got 161 yards and not the offense line blowing, you know, open the, these holes and these highways for Jonathan Taylor to run through. One area I will say I'm disappointed in George is secondary. I thought this was one of, if not arguably the best unit on the Colts heading into the season. And two guys specifically, especially Kenny Moore. Kenny Moore on the slot has been one of their best defenders all season long. He got called for a penalty. He's a little late on some coverages. Julian Blackman on the back end got burned on a flea flicker, which, look, I know you want to play aggressive, but also in that situation, coming out of the half down 10-3, he can't allow anyone behind him. The good thing for the Colts is a bad pass from Davis Mills. Otherwise, that's probably a touchdown right away to start the half, which then who, I mean, that's a touchdown right away. Who knows what kind of game we're talking. Maybe this is a, a loss uh, at the end for the Colts instead of a tie, but it's like, there was the secondary. I thought could have played better. And that was a guy, especially Kenny Moore, few flags on him, not really having the lockdown coverage we thought and really having the tight ends, especially OG Howard and and Brevin kind of Brevin Jordan eat up the Colts. That was frustrating. That should have been, that should have been an area where they exceeded in and clearly did not.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the big disappointing things about that secondary is they didn't get their hands on many balls. You know, you didn't see a lot of pass deflections. You obviously didn't see an interception. You're facing a quarterback like Davis Mills. You're thinking you're going to disrupt them a little bit, you know, get in his head. Uh, it didn't really happen. Uh, I'd say probably the only guy in the secondary who played something similar to what you would want to see is Stephon Gilmore. He wasn't outstanding, but he was good enough. You right. know, he was he was what he needed to be. I think the rest of that secondary needs to step up needs to needs to make the plays that we thought that they would make. And again, you know maybe they will. Maybe a lot of this is Week One rust, but you can't you can't have a performance like that. You you got to get out there. Uh, there were no impact plays on defense until EJ Speed made the the strip sack in the fourth quarter. And that's obviously a huge impact play. So I'm not going to belittle that one. Right. Uh, but you should have seen that at some point in the first three quarters, something similar to that. The other part of that, too, you know, when you go to the tight ends, uh, Gus Bradley said it today, the spacing was not good for the linebackers, and they weren't doing really good in the in the man match portion of this. They weren't matching routes. Uh, that's got to improve in a hurry. And maybe, maybe it does with a certain return of of a middle linebacker there who wears number 53.
0: And that's it. Like maybe it's, you know, I think I believe it was EJ Speed who on the second OJ Howard touchdown it was basically in no man's land. Not, you know, so I get that's not on the secondary and the miscommunications they're going to happen, especially in a first, you know, first year defensive coordinator in the first game. But you really gotta be able to clean up because like I said, they're they're both touchdowns for OJ Howard. The first one was a little bit more contested, but both the second one wide open, both pretty easy throws for Davis Mills. And like you said, there was really no scares for Davis Mills. The completions he had to Brandon Cooks were open. There wasn't, like I said, any deflections or almost near interceptions. Matt Ryan had more picks and near, you know, near picks than Davis Mills did, and You never would have thought that, you know, when we coming into the game, uh, as you sit here coming out of the game. It's you're right. the The back seven, especially, was one of the strongest uh, units and, and areas for the Colts, and that will, it will get a huge boost once Shaq Leonard does return, whether it's this week, whether it's week three, week four, whenever it is. But still, with that said, we talked about on Sunday, George. You knew he was not most likely going to play anyway week number one. He's been out all the training camp. All the guys got the necessary reps they needed in order to prevent these miscommunications in order to kind of better be prepared for week number one. And still we're sitting here talking about mental mistakes and still talking about blown coverages that led to two touchdowns.
1: Yep. It can't happen. I mean, it's nope. just that simple. It can't happen.
0: And Yannick Ngakwe too is a guy that he was the heralded pass rusher coming in for the Colts in the offseason. And Really, it was MIA. It was Quitty Pay that was the only really defensive end that was getting some sort of consistent pressure and end up getting two sacks. But otherwise, Yannick Gaku was kind of a, a man nowhere to be found.
1: Yeah. I mean, he had a tough matchup going against Laramie Tunsell, but he's got to win it at time. You can't be completely shut out. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, I give him that. It was a tough matchup for him, but you've got to, you, you still have to show up somewhere. You have to do something. Uh, I think he did have a tackle for loss at one point, but, you know, it, it was a really quiet game from him. That can't happen. Now, that being said, while we're talking about defensive line, I want to throw it in there real quick because really, I don't think he's got enough credit. Grover Stewart was a monster on Sunday, and when yeah. we talk about guys who saved, you know, maybe a potential loss, that third and one tackle where he got the the tackle for loss on, on yep. the run, uh, Lovey Smith decides to punt there instead. You know, we could be having a very different conversation without that play as well. So, kudos to while we're talking about things that, who didn't show up, kudos to Grover Stewart because he absolutely he did.
0: 100% right there. Good call by you, George. So, you have a guy who showed up in before the game. His paycheck, you know, showed up big time. And that was Quentin Nelson, uh, Colts all pro guard, got paid in a historic way. Four year, $80 million extension, $60 million guaranteed, record $20 million average annual value. Look, Jim Irse called this guy a generational player. If that's the case, and I, I agree with the Colts owner, you pay a generational player, whether it's a quarterback or whether it's a guard.
1: I don't have any problem paying uh Quentin Nelson. It's what it took to bring him back. You don't let that guy go. I would rather right. pay him $20 million a year than watch him play for somebody else. And and I think that's, that's your options there. So uh, now does the offensive line with all the money that's out there now with, with Nelson and Smith and Kelly, do they need to, to be better than that? Yeah. This, this has to be a top five offensive line, probably a top three offensive line, honestly, for what they're being paid. And so, you know, they, they know that. And, they're another look. This is not the first year the offensive line looked bad in week one. It, you don't lose right. or go winless in nine straight week one games because your <laughs> offensive line's excellent. You know what I mean? Uh, they've, they've improved over the year. It's, it's another thing that needs that. You just can't count on that happen. That's the thing. I can sit here and say, hey, red zone offense can get better and secondary can get better and linebackers can get better and the offensive line can get better. But it doesn't just happen, it, you need to make right. it happen.
0: And one of the ways to make it happen is by keeping one of those generational players on the line, especially too when you look at with the way Bernard Ryman played on Sunday. You basically have a six-man rotation. Let's just call it that, right? Right, George. With three yep. new guys, it's three established veterans, like you said, and three new guys working their way in. You need, you know, that's one of the, another reason why you keep Quin Nelson. The pay, the paycheck to me does not matter in terms of you know uh, resetting the market because he is a guy, even though it's an interior guard position absolutely worth the money i think it sets the right precedent too for the rest of the team that that's a guy who has done everything you asked of him you want to pay him and reward him as long as you are doing your job the position does not matter they'll pay you you know the the requisite paycheck for sure so i think it's a a great momentum sender for the Colts. i think it's a great message as well uh keeping a guy like quentin nelson around and paying him do whatever it takes to pay him but now like you said the the guy ryan kelly's been paid braden smith is there quentin nelson's there Let's go like the investments have been made. Like, is it now it's time to start reaping the rewards and have this offense get back to a consistency that we saw for a large part of 2020 and a large part of 2021.
1: Yeah, it has to happen. I mean, it, and and you see it. I mean, if you go back through the entire Frank Reich era and it, he and Chris Bauer have been upfront about this from day one. When the offensive line plays well, this team plays well. Mm-hmm. When the offensive line doesn't play well, there's trouble.
0: And Chris Ballard from the opening press conference has made no bones about trying to strengthen and fortify the interior lines, offensive and defensive line, uh, and try to fortify the trenches as much as possible. He's put a lot of capital draft-wise, put a lot of money um, as well into those offensive and defensive lines. He's doing everything, like you said, to make sure that those are the two strengths, because you're right, when the offensive line's playing well and the defensive line's playing well, that is when the Colts are playing some good football. So quickly here, George, to wrap up the pod, The the one good thing that happened to the Colts on Sunday was that the AFC South lived up to its reputation. Colts and Texans tie, Jaguars lose, Titans lose, and now for the first time since 2013. I'm saying this facetiously, but also sort of serious here to look at any positive. The Colts are somehow tied for first place, and it's not because everyone is 0-1. It is yep. that is the only positive for the Colts and they are somehow still in a position to where they benefited despite tying the Texans.
1: Best start since 2013, no question. Holy about cow. That. <laughs> but then it, it, it also underscores how bad this performance was. Because if you win, you're one and oh, and the rest of the division's oh and one, and you feel like you can go and and maybe start to put your foot on the neck of the division a little bit in Jacksonville. Now you're at a situation where it's reset, you know, because look, you lose to Jacksonville. They're at least tied for first place, and yep. you're, you know, probably tied for last. So you've got to go and and look, the the Jacksonville game, we said about week one, we would start spinning this ahead to the next pod. It's a must win. Must win.
0: Absolutely must win. And like you said, too, we saw it on Sunday. And I think Sunday's a microcosm, what could be the entire season for the Colts when it comes to the division? Colts allowed a bad team to hang around on Sunday. and they ended up tying. They got lucky to lead the game with a tie. You allow a bad division to hang around where you can't run away at this division early on if the Titans are as bad as we think they're going to be and losing Daniel Jones the way they did, not great sign. Uh, and having Carson Wentz, if you're the Jaguars, come back. Well, First of all, uh, of course, George, as if tying the Texans wasn't bad enough, then Carson Wentz had to come out for the Commanders, throw two fourth-quarter touchdowns, including well with under two minutes left to uh, DeHaan uh, Dotson to win the game for the Commanders. Where was that last year at any yeah. point? You know, outside of really the Arizona game, where was a nice clutch drive from Carson Wentz that ended with a touchdown throw when you need him. And here in his first game in Washington, marches right down the field and leads the commanders to victory. I guess it does help the Colts in the end because the Jaguars uh, left with a loss, but it is just ironic. But it goes back to the bigger point. This division is not very good. A lot of people nationally have said it. We we see this division. It's not very good on the paper, but the longer you allow a team like the Titans to kind of hang around, or the Jaguars if they feel extra spunky to hang around, that's where you just put yourself. But you know, you're putting your back against the wall and making it harder to now run away with this division and clinch what you should be doing because you allow early on in the season to not take care of business. And when you leave, let bad teams hang around or allow OK teams hang around, they're going to take advantage.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, they're tied for the division lead with the Texans. That says it all. You know I mean? That that says it all. That should not be the situation. Um, You you can spin it positive because it could be worse. But everything about this week one was a a giant missed opportunity. And I think now you've got to go out and correct that in week two.
0: Absolutely. And I guess you're right back on the horse. That's the good thing, right, George? You had one streak that you could have had broken. You failed. Well, now at least you get right back on the horse going down to what is a house of horrors in Jacksonville as you get set for week number two to maybe end that streak. That'll be a very fun pod coming to you uh, in a few days from now as we'll get ready for week number two, see if the Colts can finally get in the wing column here in 2022. But between now and then. Follow George on Twitter at gm GMBremmer. Follow me on Twitter at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. George, we're going to try this again the next pod. We asked and we thought, will a streak finally come to an end in week number one? We were 0 for 1 there. We'll see the next time the Blue Horseshoe does return. Will we end streak number two? So stay tuned for that. Between now and then, make sure to like and subscribe to the Blue Horseshoe Pod wherever you get your podcasts.